hey friends before we start the show we wanted to read out a little bit of something from one of our friends matthew b lloyd of classic comics with matthew b lloyd and um if you want to reach out to us make sure you click those things in the show notes and how you can get to us follow us on twitter we've got an email um if you want to send us thoughts please please do please reach out um and uh, tell us what you think. But our friend Matt Lloyd wanted uh, to share some comments on our last show. So here's what he said. I really enjoyed the physical graffiti episode. I wish I could have been part of that one. I had a serious Zeppelin phase in my middle teens, and I know that album very well. I'll try to blow some minds with my take on it. Firstly, I'm disappointed you didn't talk about the original album packaging. It's quite unique. I'm glad to hear the P word mentioned a few times, Prague, that is. It's appropriate because I think the second half of Zeppelin's career is a few steps into the Prague world. The very fact that you guys talked about the experimental stuff demonstrates the validity of this. This isn't Zeppelin 1. However, you can see the Prague elements creeping in on 4 and Houses of the Holy, the album. So I prefer the second record to the first of Physical Graffiti. Side 3 is my favorite. My favorite song is in the light. No kidding. It's the proggiest. You guys talked a lot about the rejected songs from other albums that ended up here, and I think it's more because they didn't fit with those other albums, but they fit better here. feel very much the same about In My Time of Dying, as Max mentioned. This is one of those old blues songs that the Zeps appropriated, I think. I thought of Trampled Underfoot would have gotten a comparison discussion with Queen's I'm in love with my car. It's a TU metaphor, or is he loving his car like Roger Taylor? Freddie refused to sing that one. Sit down for this next one. I don't hold cashmere and his high regard. It's way overplayed and I'm completely burnt out on it. It's not even the best version of the song. The best version is a live instrumental version by the Dixie Dregs that can only be found on Bring It Back Alive. Sacrilege, I know. If you, if you had done Into the Outdoor, I can only imagine how much Tony would have hated Caro Salabra. I'm sure I said that wrong. So thank you, Matthew B. Lloyd, for your awesome insights. And uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, Follow us on Twitter, send us an email. That information is in the show notes. And uh, now, on with the show. Let the beat guitar! everybody welcome to episode three of mandatory music and cd the show where three friends reminisce about the music that shaped our lives as we go through classic albums song by song i'm the man in the host chair this time my name is max Byrne, and i hope you're all well out there as always there are three of us recording tonight the same lineup which has to date avoided any musical differences but i'm sure those are in the pipeline so let me introduce to you, firstly, the man that got the funk out of Michigan and now resides in the Sunshine State of Florida, Mr. Tony Farina. Tony, how are you, sir? Oh, love it. Nice, nice. Already alluding to the album. That's beautiful. Yes, um, I'm very well. Thank you. We, we chatted a little bit about, about the shit state of the world. So I'm very excited to just talk about this and reminisce with you guys uh, about some 90s uh, music. Question mark? We'll see. I can't wait. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> barely in the 90s. Barely in the 90s. Yeah. Um, and of course, we also have the ubiquitous man of a thousand podcasts. It's the Betancourt of Bedford, <laughs> Mr. Dave Horrocks. Dave, how are you, sir? 
I am very, very good, sir. It's really good to be back and uh, talking to you guys. And after a, a month of listening to the same album, uh, it's also <laughs> refreshing to think I can listen to something else for the next month. But uh, <laughs> no, it's a delight. It's gone, it's gone by pretty quick, actually. So uh, I've been looking forward to this one. Yeah, me too, for sure. Um, so those who remember last episode where we did physical graffiti by Led Zeppelin at the end we have the the wheel of chance the wheel of fate if you will that determines the selection the album selection for the following episode so at the end of said episode the one that came up out of the shoot was the second album by Boston Rockers Extreme it is pornography or as it's known in some cases extreme to colon pornography and then I guess in inverted commas, it's a funked up fairy tale. So we'll see how funked, how funked up this discussion gets. Um, as a quick background to the album, it was released August 7th, 1990, recorded in a combination of Scream Studios in Studio City, California, and Cortland recording in Hanson, Massachusetts. Produced by Nuno Betancourt and Michael Wagner, who listeners may remember, was a producer of the first Skid Raw album, which was our first episode of this show. So I promise people this isn't becoming a Michael Wagoner podcast. Although when you look at some of the stuff on his CV, I think some more albums that have had his Midas touch on them will be coming up in the future on this show. So you have been warned. If you don't like Michael Wagoner, get the funk out, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so first things first, obviously this album, as I say, came out in 1990 when we were all of a certain age, more or less the same age. So I'd like to know from you guys, obviously, where your sort of connection with this album started. How did it first come across your radar? Uh, Dave, we'll start with you, sir. Let us know. So unlike last month, where I didn't have that much of a background with physical graffiti, I, I, this is one of my favourites from that mid-teen. I, I think I was 15 when I first heard these guys. Now, I was... Well, we, the family, were, were one of the first in the street to have a sky dish, you know, so to have satellite TV. Oh, look at us, look at us. Um, but that meant that meant you got to see all this weird shit that just wasn't on terrestrial TV. You know, you got to see the American wrestling. And at the time, there was only a few channels. So it was like Sky One, uh, MTV. I'm sure there was VH1 or something like that. So I just loved, there were also lots of other German channels and stuff like that. Um, but we won't talk about those today. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but on MTV, I just loved it. And of course, being like 15, that is that is really a time in your life when you're just figuring out who you are and music means so much to you in your in your life. And I just remember, you know, you're watching MTV and what have you, and Get the Funk Out comes on. Now, I can't say that the guitars, the bass line, the beat, the harmonies, or anything grabbed me. What grabbed me as a 15-year-old boy was something that sounded like Get the Fuck Out. <laughs> so it was obviously called funk, <laughs> cleverly disguising the, the swear word. Um, and I just thought, oh, that is brilliant, because... I think people are a bit more liberal with the lyrics and stuff now, but it was very, very uh, censored back then, wasn't it? I don't know. Was it? It was ninety-one, wasn't it, when Guns N' Roses' "Use Your Illusion" one and two came out, and they had the little sticker on the front as well, and you know, you just couldn't swear. So to see this, you know, I, I just loved it, and obviously it came on, you know, because when you're a kid, you've got no, you know. Uh, 
responsibilities or anything. You watch a shitload of TV, don't you? So each time it would come on, I just love it and turn it up. And eventually, by osmosis, I got into the music. And then when I went to the record store, I think it was our price at the time. No one had heard of them. No one had heard of Extreme at all. So it took ages, but eventually I got a cassette of, of this album, Pornography. And then, you know, it, because no one had heard of them, really, it became my little secret band that I discovered, you know. And, and then it, it wasn't until I think More Than Words came out in the summer and it spent weeks and weeks and weeks at number two in the UK charts. I can't remember what was it, what was number one. Was it Brian Adams or something like that? Could have been. I spent like a year at number one over it. It was something like that, wasn't it? The Robin Hood one. And so just absolutely loved them. Now, it comes to a point, I'm sure it's about November-ish, 91, and there's a chance to go and see them. Liverpool Royal Court, Extreme are coming on. Problem is, Nirvana are coming on the week after as well. And I have a proper dilemma there so i've only got you know you got not much cash i'm not the sort i never like to go to my mum and dad asking for money or anything so i i basically had to choose one and at the time i thought well i know the album of extreme i'd only heard smells like teen spirit uh, smells like teen spirit not a ah, teen spirit um so i was like oh, i haven't heard the album so i'm gonna go with extreme and for years i used to say to people like after i was like what a fucking idiot <laughs> I could have gone to watch Nirvana and I watched the Extreme, which was the which was a great experience. But it was it was an experience like in my mind, it feels like the eighties. Like you had Gary Sharon coming out in in the second half. He had big boxing gloves on. He had like boxing shorts on and everything. It was the campest thing you've ever seen. And but it was just fantastic. And and it, I found out years later. A good mate of mine who's a guitarist in the band. We didn't know each other at the time. I found out he was at the same concert the same night as well. So I, I just think really, really fondly of this album and this whole just time of my life. And that was probably my first gig. You know, I went with a couple of friends, like say 15, first time I'm kind of let out and, you know, uh, going to a proper gig and everything. So yeah, this this one's special to me, this one. Nice one. That's a great story. Tony, how about yourself? So this came out in August of 90. So that was um, the summer between uh, my junior and senior year. So like I graduated high school in 91. So this album was happening. Like that was my entire senior year was this album. So I even remembered when we started, when I started to go back and listen to this, uh, I was a straight edge kid. And I don't know if you guys have that term over there. Yeah. It's like, you don't drink, you don't smoke. You, you like music that nobody else really likes, but that's bullshit. You're not really a punk. It's just, that's the term. It just, it just is a shorthand to say, I don't drink or smoke. And I didn't until I, I was legal to do so. Um, just for all the reasons I, I didn't want to. Um, but I, in the small little shitty white Berg that I lived, like, you know, people still, there was only 60 of us in my high school graduating class. So there were still parties and pretty much everyone was invited. And in the summer in Michigan, it's hot as balls and people just had outdoor parties. You could just drive by. You're like just driving around on the weekend. Oh, it's at Joe's and you just stop and nobody's, nobody cares. It's just an open barn hillbilly party. So I say all that to say when this album came out, no matter which hillbilly barn party you dropped in, it was playing. And so as I was listening back to it, I can even remember 
there's that um, where he says, not going to do it at the end of uh, what I'm president. Um, I can remember there was this guy called Dean Duncan, who was in my senior class, who was in my grade with me, who loved that song so much. And he would like lip sync the fuck out of it when it was on when he's president. And so then at the end, that whole not and he would just walk around our all our senior year. He would just randomly just walk up and just say, not going to do and then then walk away. So, so I never saw Extreme or anything. They were never, never a band that I got to see. And obviously, when More Than Words broke, it was towards the end of my senior year and even into my first year of college, because this album was a hit for like two years over here. I mean, and More Than Words was what the third single, right? Wholehearted even came out before it, or is it the other way? In the UK, Wholehearted came out after. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I don't, and maybe that was the way, but it was just like forever. <laughs> so, um, so I knew them. And so when I listened back to it, I had this like nostalgia of that kind of, I mean, I worked all the time. I had jobs, but it's like late at night in the summer in that part of America, the sun in the summer, the sun doesn't set to like 1030. Cause we're like Michigan's at the tail end of the Eastern time zone. Like we uh, should really right, be in okay. the central time zone. So the yeah. sun takes forever to get to you. So that was just it. So I just had that nice memory of, you know, watching drunk people be stupid, but just kind of having that one last, you know, before you're like, okay, I have to pick my college. I have to do this. I have to do this. So it was a, so there was some lovely nostalgia there for, and this is really the end of that era. The end of, like you mentioned, Dave, Nirvana's on their way in grunge is coming. I already liked a lot of punk music and a lot of, I liked the Smiths and I'm sorry. I know neither. I don't, I know Chris fucking hates them, but I don't know if you guys hate the Smiths, but they broke up in 87. They broke up at the beginning of my high school, but they were mm -hmm. still really important to me in 1990. So that's the kind of, you know, I like Duran Duran and all that stuff. So for me, music, if it's good music, I don't care if it's hair metal or not. I, I, well, I think we'll have to talk about whether or not these guys were rightfully put in with the hair metal crowd. I don't believe they belong there, but I think they kind of rode that wave in. Um, and so that's when they, when hair metal wasn't cool anymore, extreme wasn't cool anymore, but they were never mm. a hair metal band. So, um, you know, to me, good music's good music. Um, so I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I have some critical things to say, I think, as we go, but it was, I'm so glad it came up because honestly, I don't know if it wasn't on the thing, if I would have spent any more time with it it would have been just like oh yeah that extreme <laughs> album yeah yeah when i'm president dean duncan yeah okay i got it and then moved on from my life so what about you max um, yeah with me i kind of went I, I did it in reverse so i remember more than words coming out and wholehearted coming out and that time i was 12 sort of coming up for 13 and i was like fuck this i don't want to listen to this this is this is at that point in your life, especially back then, you're like, this is music for girls. I don't want to listen to this. I want to listen to fucking Metallica and Iron Maiden and Slayer and all that kind of stuff, right? So I was like, I don't want to listen to this. And then I remember the year after, 92, they famously played the Freddie Mercury tribute show yep. in, at Wembley Stadium. Yeah, yeah. And they, they did this wonderful Queen medley extreme oh, day. so good. It, brilliant, yeah. Like a 15-minute medley, just like, Queen hit after Queen hit, all, all in one performance. And I thought it was superb. And off the back of that, they released the album that comes after this, Three Sides to Every mm -hmm. Story. So I went and bought that and really enjoyed it and then went back and thought, well, all right, I'll get pornography to then because I know half the songs off it anyway from the hit singles they had and then bought it. So I went reverse rather than sort of picking up pornography to when it was on its actual run, I went back and bought it when they'd already moved on to the next album, if that makes mm, sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a slightly ass backwards way of doing it. But um, but yeah, it's an album that 
I do really like, I, th I love the diverse, we'll get into it obviously, but I love the diversity of it and the, you know, there's so many different styles on there, some executed <laughs> better than others, but in general, it's, it's, a, it's an album I've got a lot of time for and, and revisiting it, you know, over these last few weeks has been a real sort of trip down memory lane, not, not every trip a good one, but um, a trip nonetheless. <laughs> but not all um, trips down memory lane are good ones, they don't have no, to be, no. we've, we've pretended that that phrase means love. It's a lovely mm. trip down there. Well, I remember that time that I, you know, got in a car Actually, crash. It was too. a fucking yeah, nightmare. That sucked. <laughs> <laughs> like a Stephen King novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, as an aside as well, I want to mention as well, before we get into the album, something that I uncovered, I didn't know at the time, obviously, at the time, blissfully unaware, and it was only through lead, reading the line notes. And I think I mentioned it to both you guys. Is that the art on this album, as you know, three guys who are big comic books fans, was done by the late great, who sadly is just recently passed, Neil Adams, which I had literally no clue of all these years, you know, mm. nigh, nigh on 30 years. And here we have one of the absolute legends of the comic book industry who's, you know, has got a CV as long as your arm. And he's randomly done the art for Extreme. And I looked and he's done precious, it wasn't like a thing he did. You know, it wasn't like he was a guy who had a sideline doing album covers and whatnot for, you know, supplement his income or something. It was a very, very, very few on his CV. So I'd love to know the story of what's out there as to how that sort of marriage came to be. It's a bit bonkers, isn't it? It is crazy to know. Yeah, I would love to know that too. And I didn't didn't do any Googling to find out, but we'll just leave that for the audience. You, audience, please, at us you know, and it, tell us. It, it is a little bit spooky that that came up because, as you said, he, he only passed away fairly recently. And you guys, you both did on mandatory Marvel in DC. You did the hard traveling heroes. Right. So DC Infinite's just in the last couple of months come out. And that's the first thing I went. So I've just been through all the Green Arrow, Green, uh, Green Lantern, hard traveling heroes. So there's a little. Yeah trinity thing going on well there. it's weird too because well and it's like it is also it is strange the connections like i mean of course the albums that are on the list but this is totally random everybody the albums that are coming up so it's like we have the producer of the skid row album who's shown up on this the second album was called physical graffiti this is called porno graffiti yeah. and next as you also porno. mentioned sebastian bach got the thing what's that dave said next we've got a porno well porno for pyros <laughs> if porno for pyros comes yeah, yeah. up you guys yeah. everybody needs to go play the lottery immediately <laughs> i have bought a ticket for tonight's uk lottery Tony, all right so well let's if i win it. then i'll yeah. slip you guys a few quid yeah, nice, yeah, yeah. Nice. no but it is just kind of crazy so it is it is weird how those things happen and um it's all good though it's it's uh you know i think that's awesome that he did that i think because we also learned when we read sebastian's biography how much he loved comics and he was influenced by mm. comics so you know i think men of a certain age of which they both are and of which we are that was such part of our dna and i think you know as paul show rightly points out how geek culture how we all feel a little nervous oh, i can't believe i nerded out over that or whatever but like max sends us pictures of the new cool shit he's got you know the new yeah. like oh that's so cool and and but when you were 15, it wasn't cool. And it's so it's amazing to be like, oh, I want to be a rock star. Rock stars are cool. All the rock stars were reading comics. They were all dorks too. It's just they turned it into cool. Like you, they hid it yeah, behind their yeah. mullets. Um, you know, so I don't know. It's, it, it is pretty fascinating to know that they, I mean, who wouldn't, that it would make sense they would be a fan of his though, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. Who can who can say? I'd love to know. I'd, if yeah. I ever if I ever met a member of Extreme, I'd ask them, "How the fuck did you get Neil Adams to do your album cover back in 1990?" I'd uh, I'd love to know. Yeah, me too. Well, I mean, comic book artists now are rock stars, aren't they? Yeah. But again, back then they they really weren't. The image revolution is what made that happen. So it's two, yeah, still yeah. two years away from that happening. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Would I'd, I'd be interesting to know how and why that kind of uh, you know they must have known a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy uh, and all that I guess really but yeah, who, awesome. who knows yeah who knows it's one of life's little mysteries but one I'd love to know uh, okay so I guess as per usual we'll start digging into the album track by track so all the tracks on this album are written by Gary Sharon and Nuno Betancourt there's no outside writers there's no the other two band members don't join in and the songwriting is literally those two writing every song together. And I think that's been the way throughout Extreme's whole career. I don't think there's many songs that are not written just by those two, uh, which is a, a, an interesting way to guess the band dynamic. Uh, the line upon this album as well, as we said, it's Gary Sharon on vocals, Nuno Betancourt on guitar, Pat Badger on bass and Paul Geary on drums. Okay. So the first song we're going to do is track number one, um, at six minutes and 49 seconds it's the longest song on the album and it is decadence dance so tony i'll start with you what do you make of decadence dance well my notes say and does it really take two minutes for the first lyrics to show up in the song so <laughs> i went back today and i made sure and it is just under two minutes when you finally hear gary's voice which again i understand this is their second album extreme two but unlike as we said with Skid Row, which I think just may, as we go through this experiment, I'm holding everything up to the way to start a fucking album. <laughs> and so <laughs> this isn't it. It's, it's this to me is setting the tone though, to let everybody know what kind of album it's going to be. Eclectic, I think is the word you use, Max. It starts with the piano and then there's some strings and then Nuno comes in fucking blasting that guitar and then, like the band, it's like the introduction of the band, and now Gary gets to sing. So, it is just a weird way to start. And it's all, and and we know, and we'll get to later when we get to the um, song eleven, which is literally two songs. This definitely feels like this is an intro, and now here's the song. So, I'm going to say this all day. So I hope you guys don't get sick of hearing. Nuno's amazing, mm. and he saves even the songs that are stinkers he saves it by being him and so this isn't bad but i just i mean it is it's just such a weird i feel like the next song should have been the song to start the album like for what the song is and i know you're raising because i hate that song but what i'm saying is musically it like just kicks it's a kicker and this is just like a slow and it's called deck you know decadence dance so it's telling you what it is and i know it's called a fairy tale funked up fairy tale so it's playing to that you know kind of magical like this is the trip through the magic bridge to get to the magic fairy tale there's this and so it's just weird and i i mean like all i can do is remember it now i can't remember the first time i heard it but like i'm trying to get back to 16 year old i just turned 17 like what the fuck is this? <laughs> so um, it didn't turn me off. Obviously I owned the album, but so that's my, I, it's lyrically makes no sense, but musically is special. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Dave, what do you think to decadence dance? So I, I think 
I, I'm not quite on the same page because I, I completely agree. And, and I'd said the same with, uh, uh, with Skid Row, you know, when it punches you in the face with uh, its big guns, isn't it? That, that it starts off with. And, and that is the banging tune that you want to kick off either an album or a set with. But this is a whole concept album, and this borderlines prog rock. You know, <laughs> I think for me, it almost sets the scene. It, it puts you in a theater, and you're just waiting for the curtain to go up, and you just everything starts at zero. And then, you know, one of my other favorite albums, which hopefully we'll cover one day, also starts off with a bit of rain and thunder. So for me, you know, metal albums starting with a bit of rain and thunder, awesome. I mean, and the fact that it starts off with this interesting, you know, uh, piano and then some strings, and then you hear this this shouting of Francis in the background. You're like, what's what's going on, you know? And then when the guitar finally kicks in, it's like boom, and you can tell. It, so there's a recording technique just called double tracking. So what it is is if you play, if you record the guitar part twice and play one part through one ear and one part through the other, your brain thinks it's one guitar, but the sound is just fatter. It fills it out. And so he's at least double track that because you, if you do concentrate on your left ear or your right ear, you can hear it's ever so slightly different, um, but just absolutely fantastic. And then after you get that punch in the face, then it drops out. The bass and the, the um, guitar drop out, and then you've just got the boom, you know it's very simple drums mostly on this album mm. so you got the drums and the uh, uh vocals gary sharon's vocals and then when he finishes singing then Betancourt comes in with the guitar so they're they're almost it's like a tennis match they're volleying against each other and then it comes together and oh, for me i just love it now what i would say is i i do remember when first few playthroughs on the album I didn't really enjoy it because I'd, I'd mostly heard like get the funk out and you just expect everything to be like the song you bought the album for. Uh, so the fact that you've got this two minute intro, I remember not really being impressed by that at all, but I, ha I do have to put my cards on the table. I probably listen to this album uh, at least a handful of times every year. This isn't one I've ever put to bed. It always you know, I always come away feeling like, wow, I've had my dose of cheesiness for the day because you know? <laughs> it is cheesy as fuck. But I just love it. It just puts a massive smile on my face. And I think, you know, showcasing um, Betancourt's sound, you know, just that uh, that kind of style that he has, those, those riffs and you know, this is a one guitar band, and even though he's over you know, he's overdubbed in in certain bits, it, it just uh, it has me bought in straight away, despite the the drawn out intro. What about yourself, Max? Yeah, I do quite like I quite like that intro. I don't like the sort of random piano do -do 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 -do, and all that, but I like the sort of the clanging sound that sort of goes up and starts to build and build and build before the main riff kicks in. I do like that. Um, and when I went to see them, they opened, I think, yeah, pretty sure they opened the show with this. So they play that intro as like a tape before they hit the stage. So it kind of builds up the anticipation. Um, so that's, I think it's a quite a good song. I it's fast paced, it's heavy, it sets its stall out. It's got all the elements that you want to hear from this band. It's got the magnificent guitar playing. It's got the big harmony vocals as well. That is 
we'll, we'll get into as we go along. The, one of the trademarks of this band is the huge three-part harmony with Gary Nuno and the bass player, Pat. The three of them sing. It's very much like Queen did with Freddie, Brian and Roger live. They managed yeah. to, the three voices managed to create a really big sound. Um, and obviously, you know, Queen are probably this band's biggest influence. There's no, you know, that's... 100%. Yeah. I think this band are like a mix of like Queen and Van Halen. If you put those mm-hmm. two bands together, you kind of get extreme. Um, so I, I really like the song. It's everything I want to hear from this band. It, it, and it just keeps going and going and going. And even though, like we said, it's over six and six and a half minutes, it never drags. Obviously, if he chops off the first two minutes from the, the extended intro, you'd have a lot more condensed song. But once the song starts, it never feels like it overstays its welcome. I'm a really big fan. I think it's, as an album opener, I definitely think it's a strong selection. So for me... Perfect start, obviously. The next song we're going to talk about, Tony Wishes started the album, and we're about to find out why. <laughs> Bryce knows why, but here we go. So, Tony, put us out of misery. Track two, a shorter song at five, uh, four minutes and 51 seconds. Little Jack Horny. T- Tony, take, All right, it, listen. Take, take it away, sir. Okay, I hate this song. I can't <laughs> stop singing it, though. I am like, it's constantly humming. <laughs> it is some of the dumbest words that have ever existed in music. And yet, all I keep saying is, and I've said this to you guys for a month, it is catchy as fuck. So to me, because, and I get what you're saying, Dave, that was lovely. I agree with what you're saying. That makes a lot of sense. Like how it's, it's literally like when you're at a theater, live theater, if you get there early enough, you hear the orchestra warming up. And if you get there really early, you'll like hear part of the, you're like, oh, it started. Yeah. And they're like, no. And then of course they do the warm up before the, before the show starts. So I get what you're saying. What I like about this song being the opener is because it's a fairy tale. They're saying, so this is the fairy tale song, right? I mean, literally, I mean, it talks about Mother Goose and you mm-hmm. know, obviously Little Jack and they talk about Little Boy Blue and all that stuff. So and it reminds, obviously, like Fables, if you've read the, the comic book Fables, there's a lot of that, you know, fractured fairy tale stuff going on there. So, so I like all of that. The lyrics are absurd. It's the stupidest thing. But the album, as Dave said, it's cheesy. This is an album full of not just, listen, I like cheese. I eat cheese. I'm going to make cheese ravioli for dinner. Cheese is great. What I'm saying is this is a can of cheese whiz, this album. And this is the cheese whizziest (laughs) song that ever was. And I know Max hates the song later on. I can't wait to hear him come unglued. But so to me, if you're going to start the album called Fairy Tale, you start with the fairy tale song and you show everybody that it's going to be silly. We're going to test your patience a little. Musically, Nuno's, again, saves every song. He's amazing. Um, so that's it. So the reason I think you start the album with this, is it because it's good? It's not big. Gu- I mean, in Big Guns, we discussed, it's also a little like, oof, don't play this around my 10-year-old. Uh, that's, you know, but, I'll, so that's why. I just think it's it, it encapsulates the feel of this album a little bit more than Decadent Stance does, which is more of a, deeper cut it's more of a this is us showing off as a band and all the things we do where little jack corny is like this is who this is the this is the image of the band as opposed to this is who the band is Is that if that makes any sense because i think the image of the band and the people who you are like we were just talking about they're all reading comic books and dorks over here but everything is like sexy 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 i mean it's sex is (laughs) it's in the name of the fucking album so that's why i'll shut up 
I hope I, I Max is still giving me the stink eye. <laughs> uh, no, I thought that was absolutely, <laughs> I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Um, you're almost winning me over, Tony. You really are. Um, Dave, talk to me. What do you think about little Jack Horney? I think this one probably tracks two and three are probably two of my least favorite, but there's still things that I really enjoy in there. You know, the, I think through this whole album, you get Nuno's variety of styles and, and just that intro, you get some pinched harmonics, you know, and he's playing around with that. It doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the song. It doesn't, it's not a riff, but it's just some nice harmonics playing in. And again, I think the, uh, the, the guitar, the chuggy guitar, they're like, doom, 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 doom. There's something quite, foot tappy about that you know dum, 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 you know and so that sort of has me in and then it's hard not to if i let it play for long enough but when it does get to the singy chorus with the harmonies and everything there's little jack Orney, it's like ah oh, yeah that fucking is a bit catchy but it takes so long to get there and i just think overall the song is just really ploddy you know again if you listen to a lot of the drums on this, it's bass drum, snare, bass drum, snare. Dum, ch, dum, ch. <laughs> it's like really not, not great. And so it, with the previous two albums, it hadn't really stood out to me how bland the drums were. And I just think on, on these two tracks, two and three, I just think the drums are, really stand out as being very unimaginative. Which, you know, the guy is probably, if you saw him at your local jam night, he'd probably be the best musician there. But, you know, compared to the rest of the band and what the rest of the band are doing, I think he's just a, a step off there. But, um, yeah, it's it's one of those. I don't I don't dislike the song. Uh, it's just not one of my favourites. How about yourself, Max? Yeah, despite my sort of playful banter with Tony there. I don't hate this song, okay? I th the opening, the very opening to the song sounds like something off Def Leppard's Hysteria album, that mm, very opening yeah. riff. And then it goes into another riff where it kicks in and it sounds like a song called Way Cool Junior by Rat, who, you know, glorious 80s hair metal band. Um, which doesn't make it a bad thing. I quite like Rat, actually, but it, it, it just sounds a bit stock to me. Um, it's got the horn section in there, which is something that's used quite a lot on this album. A lot, a lots of songs that mm. have like a horn section element to it, which I can take or leave. Really, I think it works better on some other songs. We'll get to. It's not one of my favorite. The musicianship's fine on it. The the production on the backing vocals is really good. When they go little Johnny, and it sounds really soaring. And like Tony says, that really does stick in your in your head, and that's the catchy element to it. Um, the chorus is big, but what really pisses me off. Does piss me off about the song. It's just when you think it's over, it's, it fades out and then there's mm. silence for a few seconds and then it fucking fades back in. The fucking ball's on them. They, they, they've, they've played this song and then it stops and then it fades back in with just a bit of horn tomfoolery for about 30 seconds and then just stops. I'd love to know what the thought process was if you've just played this song, you faded it out and now you're going to fade it back in with just a bit of horn nothing it, it's a bit pointless really so I, that ending for me negates any of the happiness the song gives me <laughs> before we get to that point but it, it yeah it's oh it's okay there's definitely worse on this album that's for sure i love it's that it the balls on this song there's a lot of that there's a lot of that on this album <laughs> oh there is this this album is incredibly 
self-indulgent. I mean, it's like it's, it's what like 61 this... minutes long. It could be 45, right? Oh yeah, it could do with some editing. Yeah, and it's it's like how many different <laughs> styles can you fit into an album when you say to them, "Extremely nonsense what musical genre are you?" And they just go, "Yes," yes. because yeah. it's, it's everything, them. all of them. <laughs> it, there's there's metal on here. There's funk. There's jazz. There's uh, there's ballads on there and Sinatra. There's, yeah, there's uh, Sinatra. Uh, yeah, a, a very bad sort of rap packy kind of song, which we'll, we'll be getting to in due course. And speaking of genres, we get to the next song, which has a bit of rap on it, um, which is probably the most cringe-worthy part of the album for me. And that's when I'm president. Um, and you know, maybe if Gary Sharon was president, the world would have been in a better state than it is now. Who can say? But as it is, we only get four minutes and 21 seconds of him being president, and that's this song. So, Dave, what do you reckon to When I'm President? Yeah, I really don't like this. And this is not <laughs> really just down to the fact that I don't like most of the American presidents. <laughs> no, I just I just think this is a, a real filler, this one. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's not without its endearing qualities. So the, the harmonies, when you get that, when I'm president when they're all singing all three of them it just sounds so rich and uh, like you say i don't think back in the early 90s i'm not sure until brian may actually said it at the freddie tribute that you know if anyone gets queen it's it's this band here i'm not Mm. sure many people made that connection but when he did you know it was like oh yeah the three-part harmonies i i get it now um and and yeah so that when they when it does come together it's just so good but um yeah the i think it turns me off right from the off you know that like you say that rap that white guy rap at the start you know <laughs> it's just so bad it, and you can almost imagine him you know giving it the fingers and stuff in the studio when he's when he's recording it it's just like yeah this is really bad and and so yeah i i think this is a proper filler so i'm not I used to fast forward past this one, to be honest. And but I, I used to try and not fast forward too much because that killed my battery. So I'd be into uh, good the funk out you know? <laughs> fairly soon. So I'd have to suffer this one. And uh, yeah, but it just never, it never ever grew on me. Tony, how about yourself? <laughs> oh, great. So there's a song by uh, some forty one. Um, I don't know if you guys know Sum 41. They're yeah. like a Canadian thrash band. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love them. them. So, I mean, as so All Killer No Filler should probably be on the list, I guess, because mm-hmm. that album bangs. They have they do some rap. Steve O, the drummer, does some rap. And um when they do it, they know what they're doing. They know it's bad. Like mm. they're making fun of it because you know, so that's all I can think of every time I hear the opening of this is like are the guys from Sum 41, is this what they're making fun of? Or are they just like, we're just, you know, three white guys and an Indian guy from Canada. We shouldn't be doing this. Let's do it to just be, you know. So I don't know <laughs> what the fuck they were thinking about. And again, lyrically, Gary, my man, your voice is so good. This is the song where he's proving to us it doesn't matter what I sing. And it's going to sound good. This song is absurd. Absurdist. I think it's intentionally absurd. The rapping is awful. And, you know, as you read it, like in America, I don't know if you guys do this, but like kids run for class president. It's a thing Mm -hmm. they do. And they'll like, you know, so whatever you'll do. And so 
one of the things, especially in like middle school or whatever, it'd be like free pizza Friday and we're going to do this. And that is like almost he comes right up to the edge of calling free pizza Friday. But he's like, when I'm president, <laughs> I'm going to get rid of school. I'm like, no, you, Gary, go back to school. You're a dumbass. These lyrics are stupid. So it's bad. It's a bad, bad song. But again, every time I'm going to say it, Nuno pulls it out. It doesn't matter. I think musically, there's some fun stuff going on here. Again, he's playing with things. And as you guys, as you mentioned, the way that the the, the voice go, they just harmonize so well um, that you forgive it for how bad it is. It is not the worst song on the album, but like, what the fuck song? I don't understand. This is like not even a 15-year-old boy or 16-year-old boy's hormonal song, which those are coming. This is like literally... Like he was 12 when he wrote this, like he found his old campaign speech from when he was running for middle school president. And he's like, <laughs> Nuno, I got a song. And he's like, all right, man, we're 50, 50, whatever. And then that's it. That's how it feels. So ugh. that's right. I mean, so much of this album is about coming of age, isn't it? And yeah. I think that's why it just hit me at the perfect time. You know, you're discovering a bit about yourself bit about girls you know it, it just all speaks to that and then you come off no pun intended but you 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 come off the back of little jack horny and then a kid who's gonna run for president and he all is he's gonna uh bring world peace and whatever it's like what the fuck it, it just until you'd said that i never really made the connection but it's totally jarring with the theme of the rest of the album so maybe you're right. It's it's more probably looking backwards to class president, whereas I'm thinking like Ronald Reagan or something at the time. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, when I refer to my notes here as to of this song, I've put filler track, amazing guitar work again, which kind of echoes what everyone keeps saying about it. I've put a tough listen, but the chorus is big and the rap is cringeworthy. I mean, that sort of... <laughs> white rocker rapping it, it makes vanilla ice sound like fucking iced tea it really yeah. does it's awful and there's no there's no there's no place for that <laughs> in, on this album whatsoever i know they were just kind of throwing everything into the melting pot but that's one that should have stayed out the melting pot in my opinion but it's if, if this song wasn't on the album it would suffer not one jot in my opinion i just don't think it's particularly good it's arguably in my no there's one other song which we'll get to which i think is worse than this but this is like the second to last shitty song on this album i think Sullivan. can i just point out as well so rage against the machine came out the year after this (laughs) (laughs) yeah rap rap works in rock when done when done well and executed well and you you have the right personnel to execute rap and rock together of course it does but <laughs> not not gary sharon <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you know um so thankfully that's the only bit of rap on this album okay so moving on to the next song which is one of the most famous songs in the album and one of the singles which we've already mentioned at four minutes and 24 seconds it's the classic get the funk out dave get the funk out yes no do you like it love it I, and as I mentioned, it, it, this was the song that pulled me in and, and got me to know the band. And uh, it's not one of those. I, I, I technically should have overplayed this over the years. And uh, the thing is, you go from that tip of the spear, don't you? you, you a band, you recognise a single 
or, or this is the way it used to be. You recognize a single and then you you kind of go and seek out the album and then, you know, you, you figure out, oh, quite like this band. I like all their songs and, and they're not all the same and what have you. But I think th- this has always been in my like top three favorite songs in the album. And I think over the years, I've just come to appreciate different things about it. So initially, it was just those lyrics and, you know, it being a little bit edgy at the time. Um, And then I think, you know, the guitar, masterful guitar, it's going to be really hard, actually, to go through this album and not call out the great guitar work on every single song. Um, But just absolutely fantastic, brilliant solo. But even, you know, Pat, um, I, I keep wanting to say Butcher, uh, Pat Badger. <laughs> Pat Butcher. <laughs> not, not Pat Butcher from EastEnders. Yeah. Um, you know, just yeah. the way the drums start off, I think what I appreciate about this album is the way that everything comes in a little bit different. So, and on this one, it's the drums that kick it off. And I've sort of criticised the drums as being a little bit bland in some of the other songs, whereas this one, it is quite an interesting beat. And it's, you know, he's the one who kicks it off. And then you get the bass, a really good, dirty bass sound coming in with a great riff. It's like, ding, ding, da, dum, 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 you know, and that's even before the guitar comes in. And then, you know, when Nuno comes in with the guitar, it's sort of, again, fairly riffy and it's interesting. It's not just it's not just following the bass riff or anything. And, uh, yeah, the harmonies are just out of this world, aren't they? The way they come together, um, just brilliant. And, you know, sometimes, I, I was saying on the previous uh, episode that I think you guys listen and, and seek out the lyrics probably more than I do. Um, but there's something I, I always forget what it is. Uh, oh, that's it. So something that I try and take on board, um, it's you can't please everybody, but everybody can't please me. And the thing is, I'm innately quite a people pleaser. So I try and keep everyone happy. That's what I try and do. But you also have to remember, well, you can't satisfy me. You can't please me either. And that matters. And so just those two little lines there, I think, are really good. In this nonsense, cheesy uh, kind of rock song, I just think that there is some uh, uh, something to be said about those lyrics there. But, yeah, I, I love it. I think it's a classic. Absolutely it is. Tony, what say you? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Again, here's the thing. What you said, Dave, about Paul's drumming. Different drummers can do different things. There are some drummers who can do whatever, who can step in and be like, like the Wrecking Crew guys, the backing band, you know, for all of those big hitters and all the Motown stuff, the Wrecking Crew, that those guys could do whatever. They're like, what do you need? Funk, we got you. What do you need? Rock, we got you. What do you need? Surf, we got you, you know? And if maybe, maybe the thing is, when you think about it, as soon as you've been saying this about Paul's drumming, you know, it's very Meg Whitey on the more rocky songs, but on the funky songs, it's, he's he's on full display. So maybe that's just what he can do. He's not Mick Fleetwood. He can't do everything. And who, who, mm. who is? You know what I mean? So it's funny to just hear you say that it didn't click with me. But you're like, you know, now I'm like trying to piece where he's really strong and where he... And again, it's hard to get over how great they sound together. The vocals again on this. And, the, and again, that way that the song essentially stops. Remember, Max, you criticized it before where the other one, where the song stops, comes back for 30 seconds. This song stops. And then Nuno's like, wait, there's a guitar solo. Because you think the song's over. And I know you sent us to clip of Brian May waxing poetic. And bullshit Brian May saying, I couldn't do that. 
lies. I know that's just Nuno's your friend. So you're saying I couldn't do it. Um, but because it's Brian fucking May. But still, there is just a lot going on. This is the first song where they all are showing off. I mean, you talk about the harmonies, but but Pat is really singing co-lead on this. It's not it's not Nuno. So I think maybe that's it. They're like, we wrote this funk song because that's who we've got this funk drummer who can really play off beat, but keep us together. Cause that's hard. It's hard to do, have your, to have four things going on. So for me, I think you're totally right, Dave, that this is his time to shine. Song is amazing. The, I wrote though, musically brilliant. Cause I think this is the show off of the three musicians lyrically absurd, which is the theme I have through this. Although then you just read that one line and I was like, Oh, that's a good one. Um, but, you know, if you don't like what I, what I do here, get the funk out. And I know what you're saying. It's, it's because they couldn't say get the fuck out. So that's all. I yeah. loved it, though. Great, great. I understand why this was their lead single. Because yeah. this is the band. This is, this is the album. This is everything all wrapped up into one. What is it, Max? Five minutes long? Uh, it's so five good. minutes. Uh, no, four minutes, 24. That's it. Wow. See, and this yeah. is one that seems longer than it is. Cause maybe it's like, as soon as it's done, you just listen to it again. Mm. Maybe that's why I think it's longer. Cause it's like, Ooh, I want to repeat that one. I didn't get all the funk out. I got to keep going. So it, it is an interesting point. Cause it, it doesn't stop. Does it? Uh, but there is this interesting, it's almost like a bridge or a break. Whereas I did it. And you're like, what? What is it doing? Uh, you're not really sure where it's going, and then it just goes bang into the into the guitar solo. And I, I don't know. I think guitarists like Brian May and Clapton, absolutely brilliant. But the kind of shredding '80s metal guitarists, they they were a slightly different gravy. So you know, Brian May was never into like the tapping or anything like that so i don't think he was just being modest i, I don't think may could have done this he, he did something else that was brilliant but just not quite this yeah i i think it's i think it's easily one of their best songs this it's, it's my second favorite song on the album we haven't got to my favorite yet um it's just marvelous everything and what you're saying about the drumming i think the drumming on this album is really in the pocket and on and precise. Yes, it's not very complex. Is he Neil Peart from Rush? No, of course he isn't, but he doesn't need to be. He services the song with what mm. the song needs, and it, it's fine because all the flash on this album is coming from the guitar player. So you don't need a busy drummer to go with an extremely busy guitar player, or else you may as well be listening to to Dream Theater. And I hope we do. I hope we do get. I hope we do get a Dream Theater album one day. On this one, one day, day because <laughs> you, you guys are in for a treat. You really are. Um, but that's that's for another day. But yeah, I think the the, com the synergy of the musicianship worked really well. Um, the like we said, I mean, you know, with the risk of repeating what you guys have said, the guitar solo in this is phenomenal. It is phenomenal when you listen to it because there's so many different elements to it. It it just goes on and on, and it's so brilliantly played, and it often gets overlooked within the context of the song. I love the lyrical message of it. You know, it's literally like. If you don't like what we are, fuck off, basically. You don't have to, you don't, we don't, we don't want to force feed you. You know, if you don't, you don't want to listen to us, that's absolutely fine. There's the exit. Go. It's absolutely fine. You don't have to like us. But if you don't like us, just get the fuck out of here because we don't need you around. I love that message. I think it's, I just think it's spot on. And, and this song as well, I think it's crossed over really well because it's something you can actually dance to. It's got like a danceable beat. Um, there's been many a rock disco 
where I've embarrassed myself on the dance floor to this one. Um, <laughs> maybe will again one day, who can say? Um, that was in the days when I used to drink. Um, but it is, it's... <laughs> But it is. It's it's a it's a great song. I really like it. And although I, it almost loses the point for me from probably just the visual perspective, the video to this is one of the most cringeworthy things I've ever seen. Gary Sharon's sort of quasi aerobic routine. It was definitely. Uh, you talked about rat. That's yeah. this is what I was saying. I think that video exemplifies what they were trying to do as opposed to who they were. Cause those mm. guys from rap and the guys from white lion, we were talking about the other day and those hair metal guys, the guys from poison, that's who they, that's what they were going for. Mm. That's not who Gary was. And so it was very much like, how should I look in this video? It's really awful. <laughs> it really is a 1980, like this is 1990, but he was still hearkening back to 1987 hair metal yeah. for that video. Oh, Definitely, it's you know, it's it, the shapes that he throws, you know, the, the bowler hat and dungarees combo. You know, I don't know who was the stylist that day, but they need to be fucking sacked. Um, but it is, it is cringeworthy, but it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a moment in time, you know, you can see in a way why Gary Shaw ended up being the vocalist in Van Halen, because for me, oh, he, is yeah. a, he, he is a cross between David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar, in that he's got. The big voice that Sammy Hagar had and still has, I should say, but then he's also got the showmanship, the sort of athletic throwing the shapes on stage that David Lee Roth brought to the table. So I can see why the Van Halen's chose him because he's sort of the best of both worlds, if that makes sense. Aha! Look what you did there. You've been made a Van Halen reference while you did it. Nice job. <laughs> uh, I do want to say something, Max. You said something, and it just reminded me of you know who Jimmy Vivino is. He was no. the guitarist in the Max Weinberg Seven, and then yeah. um, when Max left, they became the Basic Cable Band for Conan Show. And um, he said that um, when he used to, he knew he knew all the guys, right? Because they all came on, and Jimmy was like a, a, a just a guy. He was a studio player, and um, he said that um, uh, Charlie Watts told him that I'm not the band leader, that that it's it's Keith. Keith leads the band, not me which is weird. You're the drummer of the Rolling fucking Stones. Of course, you're the band leader. But he said he said he wasn't. He said that was never the deal. It was always I'm keeping the beat, but Keith is the band leader. And so like the idea of a guitarist being a band leader, because you nailed it, that the, the drummer here is not the band leader. It's Nuno's leading the band. Everything comes through the guitar mm. first and that you look to him. You're not looking to them. You know, like the drummer's got to catch up to whatever Nuno's doing. So it's just I, I forgot that thing and i think he was on like mark maron's show when he was talking about it because he and mark maron are buddies he was on his podcast and he was talking about that how charlie watts said i may be the drummer in the world's greatest rock band but i am not the band leader of the world's greatest rock band, which is a weird thing to think about and i realized that is what's happening here too is the drummer is it's like slash too the drummer mm. i mean steve they got rid of steve and you're like yeah we didn't miss a beat without steve <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean we didn't meet he was again serviceable um and that was obviously George Martin's whole thing is we don't want that. We need a drummer who can lead the band. So Pete Best had to go and Ringo had to come in because mm -hmm. Ringo can lead the band. And, and because that's how rock was done in the George Martin way. So it's just an interesting thing to see the progression of music that a guitarist can be the band leader. And you just, you saying that Max was like, oh my God, that is what this album is, isn't it? It is the dream child of the lead guitarist. And so that's the most important thing. Yeah. No, it is definitely. It's, it's, it, he is the star of the band, in my opinion. You know, they're all 
they're all great at what they do and they're all superb but i just think he's on a different level I, you know it, yeah. it's a sh- it's a shame that he isn't revered on a fame sort of fame and recognition level amongst like you know when they always talk about the greatest guitarists in the world who they are the usual suspects are always thrown up there but he's not i guess because of the band he was in and the level that they achieved he's not up there when people are reeling off the greatest, play, you know, the greatest guitar players of all time. Because in my opinion, he should be in there. I I think he is in the conversation. I I think considering that really this was their only real hit album, you know, because mm. the the other albums were moderately successful. But but I've heard you know Nuno mentioned in like greatest guitar players conversations before. So maybe if he did done more. But he, he sort of strikes me as someone who who does suffer for his art a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. he's not necessarily because he could have walked into so many other like super bands or whatever. And you know, in, in the documentary, I think you sent through Tony. You know, he's talking about um, uh, working on maybe maybe it was a YouTube uh, rabbit hole that I went on, and he was talking about doing stuff where he did a whole album where he doesn't play a solo at all. He's like, yeah, that that was over there. Now I'm just going to do something different. So I, I think he he's definitely in the conversation. Um, whether he would get more fame and adulation if he'd have done more uh, band work and and not been in, you know, a, a sort of not a glam rock band, but you know, they they are looked down upon a little bit, aren't they? But uh, no, he is for me. He's amazing. It just has that unique style. That I, I love guitar um, guitarists who can carry off that single guitar, you know, so they don't need the second guitar to fill out the sound. Everything that they're doing, they're doing the lead and the rhythm all together as well. Is, is fantastic for me. I wonder if if he's like Lindsay, where Lindsay Buckingham, where other guitarists say he's my favorite guitarist, as opposed mm-hmm. to like folks on the street don't know who the fuck you know that court is and we all like music yeah. we know who he is we're like because watching brian may gush about him and so maybe that's it it's like Lindsay's the same way people don't realize how mm. amazing Lindsay buckingham is he doesn't use a pick he's playing up and down that's one guy they're another one yeah. guitar band i mean i know they will have live sets they'll have backing people playing rhythm especially when uh, Christine wasn't there, you know, they had, they'd have different people playing rhythm in the background, but like, Mm -hmm. he always sounds like he's three people playing by himself. And I think Nuno definitely does that. And I know, but I've watched some live stuff and it's like, he's just doing it all by himself without a loop pedal. He's not doing, he's just him. I don't understand what he's doing. I don't know how his fingers work. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's just, he's a guitar because we all like, where are you looking? Is it other musicians Mm. who are like, oh man, he's awesome. Is it like dude on the street? If we ask the guys, we'll see what the Comics and Ocean family says when this goes live. Well, they'll be all like, yeah, let us know everybody. Hey, have you heard (laughs) it? Did you know who Nuno was? And is he on Mm. your list? I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah. He just doesn't have that same level of fame and notoriety that I think his talent deserves. It's a shame, mm. but like you said, it, it, extremely well respected within the musician circle and and people who are, are into that yeah. kind of music. But yeah, your yeah, average yeah. Joe won't have a fucking clue who he is. Whereas yeah. every, everyone knows Noel Gallagher. <laughs> well, exactly. Every, everyone knows who Noel Gallagher is. Yeah. But talent, you know, it's all what you're into but i think talent wise there's no comparison between the two into into no. musicianship i think noel gallagher would say that too. yeah he couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't like musically speaking he couldn't lace his boots and that's that's the shame of it really in some ways but um 
I guess it's just down to, to fame and notoriety. And speaking of fame and notoriety, that leads us perfectly on to track number five, which is easily the most famous song on this album, the most famous song in their catalogue. It's the one that sort of has catapulted this album over the top in terms of success. Um, a divisive song, maybe, for some. We'll, we'll see. You'll see what you guys think. And, of course, I'm talking about more than words. So, Tony, what do you think to more than words? It's Listen... It's the song where they harmonize. It's the song where they show off. Um, say what you will, because it's an acoustic ballad, whatever. Listen, that's skill. When, I'm going to talk about a different band for a second, but when, when Green Day almost didn't put good riddance on the album. And um, Billy Joe's wife said, dude, this is, I remember him, him saying this. He's like, this is what happened. I said to her, I can't put this on the album. And she said, dude, that's the most punk rock thing you could do. Mm. And he's like, oh, fuck, it is. I'm going to put a fucking acoustic ballad on a punk rock mm. album. I think, I, I don't know. I don't know Nuno. He must be fucking proud of this song. This is an amazing guitar work, I, I think. I mean, I think it's hard. I think playing acoustic guitar is harder. Um, there's, and again, not to shit on the boss, but Bruce Springsteen doesn't play acoustic guitar very much because it's hard. It's harder to do. Um I get it got overplayed, but just like I remember you got overplayed, but it didn't mean it was bad. I think it's a great song. So I, I can see how it can rub people the wrong way, but I would suspect, I would suspect Nuno is proud of this song musically. I think lyrically, it is what it is. Um, it's probably the strongest lyrically that, that, um, that he does on this uh, because most of the songs are just like, you know, I'm a horny teenage boy. Um, and this isn't that. So I guess it's like Gary's took it, took it to the next level. I feel like this is the song that got him the Van Halen gig because he could mm. harmonize. Like you see, hear him harmonizing the other stuff, but because this, you could actually hear him. This is like where his voice is really alive. So yeah, I like it fine. I have no problem. I have no qualms. I'm not ashamed to admit that I like this song. Dave, do you like more than words? I love it. Um, partially again for the nostalgia. So again, even though Get the Funk Out was the song that got me in. So I think about that next summer, you know, and you're in there with your circle of friends and you've got your ghetto blaster there. And then this comes on and all the girls are singing along as well. And you're like, yeah, nailing it. (laughs) (laughs) It just takes me back a little bit to that time. Again, you know, you're just discovering girls and things. And so it, it, it just takes me back to that. And, you know, I saw um, Steven Tyler try to do this with Nuno, and it was awful. And you just realize, wow, the way their vocals, their harmonies are melted together into this one perfect, you know, uh, sonic uh, butter on your ears. You know, it just is just amazing the way it sounds. And Again, I can't really remember the first time I heard it. It would have been when I played the album through. But, you know, when I first hear it, I'm hearing that classic uh, rock ballad where I'm expecting, you know, at some point, drums are going to kick in, you know, you know, come in with a solo and stuff. But it doesn't. It's brave enough to just play all the way through like that. Just, It's just fantastic. And, um, yeah, I, I just can never get bored of it. It just is, it is the perfect rock ballad for me and executed perfectly. And, and again, uh, when I was watching one of the documentaries, Nuno was saying, you know, even when this was just a demo, 
and he, he was playing it in the kitchen or something. And his sister, who never commented on any of his music, walked through and walked through the kitchen and then was like, what's that? It's like, oh, it's a song we're working on. She was like, that's really good. And then just walked off as siblings do. And, mm. and he was like, she never said anything positive about the music ever. So when she said that, I knew we were on to a winner. So, I mean, this is definitely one of the reasons they'll never have to, you know, work again. <laughs> this will have so many royalties. It's in Rock of Ages as well, isn't it? And, you know, just absolutely brilliant. Never, ever get bored of it. Yeah, it, it must be something of a dual-edged sword for the band, because like you said, it's it must have earned them so much money over the last thirty years because it's never off the radio over here. I don't know what, if that's the same in America, Tony, but it's it's constantly played on certain all radio the time. stations. Yeah, yeah, over here, yeah. All the so stations, they must have like you can put it on classic rock and yeah. you can put it on the coffee house, the singer songwriter, because it's that mellow. I love singer songwriter stuff. So this it's everywhere. No station, yeah. it can play everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so obviously it's it's brought them it brought them fame and fortune and and everything that goes with it, as Freddie once said. But it, at the same time, it must be kind of a bit of an albatross around the neck as well. Um, I did read at some point in the mid nineties when they were trying to change things up, they wanted to leave this out of the set and and did for a time. But obviously, I think um, what's the quote now? I think it was I think it was Joe Elliott of Def Leppard said, "If you don't want the responsibility of having to play a hit song, don't fucking write one." And that's the way that's the way it is. If you've got a hit song, then you have mm. a duty. You have a duty to your audience to give them the hit songs that they want to hear that have put you on that level, I guess. So I get both sides of it. But yeah, it's it's great because it's just a very so it's it's one acoustic guitar and two voices, nothing more, nothing less. I mean, half the band don't even play on this, you know. So it must be it must be wonder what the other two guys think of this song and this the way that this song has been on every, it, it's so famous for the last thirty years. And they didn't even have anything to do with it. Literally nothing to do with it. Even in the video. They walk away. They, they walk off and sit, just sit in chairs with the lighters up like this while the other two do that earnest acoustic ballady kind of well, thing. So if, if if they're like the the uh the old leopard, what they used to get up to in the uh in those acoustic times. <laughs> They, they won't be complaining too much. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. You've got to, gives you five minutes to yourself during the set, doesn't yeah. it? I yeah. yeah. But uh, I just wonder what they think of the actual success of the song. The fact that this is the, the biggest song. Because they're the not going to get any money on it. Because it's like, even when you're the... Not like, even session. Yeah, like, well, right. Because no. even like, the you know, the rhythm section in U2, um, Mullins and... Why can't I think of the other guy's name Clayton. right now? Yeah, they... I mean, they don't write any of the songs, but they're on every song. They are mm. part of U2. Whereas mm. like this, we're in extreme, but this one song we didn't we didn't play on. So we're not even gonna get the two mm. percent of that. Like, you know, if you sell the song, Bono and the Edge get the money for a cover. But if you're gonna play the song, if you buy the song to put it in the movie and you're playing the original version of the song, we're that's me on bass. I better get my fucking money. Where these two guys are like, I'm just the guy holding the lighter in the video. So I don't know. That is an interesting um. I would be curious to hear. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's a banger. There's a song that Ben Folds does. Ben Folds wrote the music and um, the novelist, um, uh, Nick Hornby wrote the lyrics. It's called uh, Belinda. And um, they did a whole album together, which is called Lonely Avenue. Nick wrote all the lyrics and Ben wrote all the music. And it, said, it says every time about every night about this time, I have to sing Belinda. And yeah, it's like about a guy who wrote a song about a woman called Belinda that they're divorced. But mm. he's like, I got to sing it because everybody's mm. going to be pissed if I don't. So it's funny that you bring that up like the 
the responsibility to play it. But I love that Joe said that because I'm sure they're like, we're going to do photographs tonight, everybody. So buckle up. Let's go. You know? Yeah, exactly. If you get snobby about playing your hits live, then then you've got no business having hits in the first place, in my opinion. So, you know, it's it's one of those, isn't it? So some acts are like that. You know, Iron Maiden are a band like that who go out and play 70% new material when they have a new album out mm. and, the, you know, the fans still lap it up. But at oh, the same they'd time... They'd have like a 12-hour set if they did all the back catalogue, wouldn't they? Well, exactly, exactly. There's only so many songs you can fit in. And when you've got a huge catalogue, obviously, you've got to be very selective. But I just think it's you've got to give people what they've paid to see, haven't you, really? Yeah, so um, I can't remember the chap's name. It's going to come to me or I'm going to Google it, one or the other. But um, one of the keyboardists for uh, Depeche Mode passed away recently. Yeah. Um, and they they never used to play uh, Just Can't Get Enough at the gigs. So, And you think, surely most people on the planet know Depeche Mode and they think Just Can't Get Enough, mm. but they just refuse to play it for years and years. Yeah. Really? It's one of them, isn't it? It, it can be one of those. Well, I guess when you're that, Dylan's that way too. Dylan, there's a reason Dylan always has to play like oh, county fairs. If there's fairs. ever a musical douchebag, then right. it's Dylan, isn't it? Well, that's <laughs> it. But he's like, I'm writing, he goes, so yeah, he he can't really play big stadiums because he refuses to play the hit. So he just shows up and he'll play county fairs and go out there and play whatever he feels like for two hours. And it may be Mr. Tambourine Man, but it's probably not. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like, whatever. <laughs> so. Yeah. And doesn't fucking speak to the audience the whole time. No, as well. no, Jesus no, Christ. No. My friends are Dylan's supervisor. He's been seen many times. He says every time he goes, other than at the end of the night when he introduces the individual members of the band to the audience, he doesn't say one fucking word apart from maybe thank you or something after a song or something. But He's one of those okay. tools who just, he'll start off a song in a completely different key just to mm. see if the band can pick up. And if you don't, yeah. that's it. You don't play tomorrow. It's like, what an arsehole. Yeah. Oh, fuck, sorry. Fuck, fuck Bob Dylan anyway. Wow. If he ever, if he ever comes upon this, then uh, I won't be very happy. But it was <laughs> it was Fletch. Um, so Andrew yeah, John Andrew Leonard Fletcher. Fletcher. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. passed away. He did. Yeah, it's a shame. Okay. So moving on, picking up the pace here because we've only covered half the album. So we'll uh, try and move a bit tighter. The next one is following on from such this mega hit. We have Money Brackets in God We Trust. Which, in my opinion, is a little bit filler, but I'm more interested in your opinion. So, Tony, what do you think about this? No, one? I would love to hear you talk about that because all I wrote down was, "Is this supposed to be satire?" I don't know. <laughs> so, I, that's my question to you, Max. It's filler, but is, was was Gary trying to be clever or was he being earnest? I don't know. I don't like it at all. I mean, again, Nuno saves everything. So, again, I know that we'll be able to go through this back half of the album pretty quickly because we've already. All shot our load all over Nuno, mm. so we're fine to just talk about the <laughs> shitty lyrics that 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 are awaiting us for the rest of the album, I think. But I'm not sure. I mean, if this was satire, then I think it's brilliant, but I don't think it is. I think it's earnest. What do you think, Max? Yeah, I've, 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 my notes here are exactly the same as yours. I've put Money and God We Trust, a bit filler, song is quite forgettable, but another amazing solo, a bit out of place, but it shreds. And I've put lyrics, whilst repetitive, are quite good. They're on the nose about worshipping money and what have you, and capitalism. Just what's quite, quite relevant even to this day, isn't it? That, and that'll probably be relevant throughout the history of mankind, unfortunately. But it, the song, I just think it, it comes and it goes and it leaves zero impression on me. It's just not a song I'm particularly interested in. 
It is what it is, isn't it? I think it's very stock. What do you think, Dave? So I, I probably have a slightly higher opinion than that. I think it's, it's definitely better than when I'm president. Uh, let's put it that way. But that is a low bar. I think the way it starts, I, I don't really like that. Even though I love the, the three-part harmonies all the way through this album, that hallelujah, I, 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 it just jars with me for some reason. It just, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't like it. And then for like almost, you know, a minute or so into the song, I, I think it's very stock. But then when it, it does get into that harmony and that money, my personal savior, I, I just think, again, the, the melody and the harmonies there are just really, really catchy. And so at the beginning, it's lost me. And then it drags me in again. Like you say, absolutely fantastic solo. I, if we think we're coming out of the, when was Wall Street? You know, we're coming out of the Gordon Gecko extreme 80s, aren't we? Excess. I mean, if you think about it, this this is not a band who's ridden the wave of success for 10 years or something and is awash with money. You know, they've gone through multiple iterations of the band, trying to make it, swapping in different members and what have you, you know, trying in other bands and then eventually coming up with this combination and having some success. So I think it is more satire. I don't think it, it, when he's saying about he wants to be president and he's worshipping money, I, I don't think that's really, you know, what Sharon is thinking. I, I think he's taking the piss out of it a little bit. So, yeah, for me, they, it, it, despite the fact, I, I'm almost going to treat this like an album of two halves. Because I've got the, the couple of songs that I don't like at the start, you know, two and three. But then you've got the massive, massive hits. But then I think the second half here becomes almost, you know, it becomes quite eclectic. And this is the start of that journey. So, again, it's not, my mo it's not the most memorable. But because of that harmony for the, for the main kind of uh, earworm in the middle, you know, that main hook, I, I quite like it for that. And then it, 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 the album does get really interesting from here for me. Yeah, it's quite, di well, it's very diverse from here on in, that's for sure. Okay, so moving on to the next song, which in my opinion my, is my favourite song on the album, um, which I'll explain in a minute, but we'll start with you guys. Uh, track number seven is It's a Monster. Tony, is this a monster for you or do you love it? Well, <laughs> well as I sent you guys a question, I don't know what it is. So what is it? And the fact that, and not the Faith No More, it's it, what is it? Not that one. Although that's, yeah. that album bangs too, Faith No More. I, mm. I really love that album. But yeah. um, I believe the lead singer's name is Mike Burton, right? So isn't that his name, the lead singer? Uh, of, uh, no, Mike, Mike Patton. Mike Patton. Patton. Yeah, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Never mind. It well, should be Mike Burton. It is that now. That would be is a now. concert I, I would pay good money for. <laughs> <laughs> see Mike, Bur Mike Burton, lead, the lead singer of Faith No More. Um, yeah. Faith No More was great, though. I mean, and I like Mr. Bungle, the side project. They were fun. Yeah, but yeah. What is it? Or It's a monster. I think musically it's perfect. I, I And again, the, my problem is, is, is this is this earnest or is it absurdity and i can't tell with gary because when i'm president is on this album and these other lyrics so I, if if it's if it's what it could be if it's all you know layers then it's brilliant but i don't know that it is and so 
to me, it's like, it's a Rorschach test. Like, that's why I asked you guys off air, like, what is it? What's the it to you? And we all thought, you know, there's actually like lyrics that could just be about his dick, could be about jerking off, could be about sex. <laughs> Dave said sex and guilt. It's all those things it could be. But the way it starts is different. So it's like, is it the Rorschach test? And you're supposed to, again, he's the smartest man in the world. He's given us a song that we get to decide what the it is. And the fact that all three of us thought about sex right off the top is it because the album is called pornography or is it because we're depraved psychopaths i don't know that's my thought on it's monster well it could go either way that choice you just laid out i think <laughs> i think the answer is yes to both of those questions uh <laughs> dave what do you reckon to it <laughs> what do you reckon to it's a monster well until Tony asked the question, I just assumed it was his dick, to be honest. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a monster. But then, because you'd highlighted the lyrics, I, I started to look at it, and it was like, you know, we all have it within us, turns us into sinners, it's a monster. And I started to think, well, is it that thing of, you know, you're all born with a, a desire to procreate, is what, and let's not... This is the early 90s, late 80s, probably when he wrote these lyrics. So that's that's just where he's thinking. So um, just in that binary way. So I don't know. And then it sort of says, you know, it turned into a habit. I, I, I don't know. I think it could be anything, couldn't it? But it, it does. I read through the lyrics a few times. and I just thought it is maybe... Because we, as, and I, I use the term Catholic guilt, because that's just the extreme version of it. You know, you just, uh, you, you, you need to procreate, but feel bad about it. <laughs> you, know, you should mm. feel awful, you know, and you're born into original sin and all of that. So uh, that's what it sort of spoke to me. I don't know if Gary Sharon is a, a, a Catholic, if you've got a bit of Matt Murdock about him. But yeah, that, that's definitely what I'm thinking now is it's just that, inner desire that no matter how hard you fight you you know that you're drawn to do this thing yeah it's an interesting one isn't it because there's so many ways you can interpret it i always thought it was about wanking off for uh, want of a better phrase you know I you know what i can't wait to get to motley Crue's album so <laughs> <laughs> There's very little. There's very to little. Dissect. Inter- yeah. yeah. There's very little to interpret with Motley Crue. All isn't it? text there. It's, yeah. it's all. It's all there. We won't have this discussion when we yeah. get to Motley Crue. When we get to Girls, Girls, Girls by Motley yeah. Crue. Girls, 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 What are exactly. they really saying though? What, what, let's, let's 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 get beneath the hood on that one. There there isn't. They really. No, there's no hood. Yeah. No, we're already we're already under the hood with that one. But yeah. no. So it's open to interpretation. But I do, this song is my favorite on the album. I think the playing on it is awesome. The vocal harmony and the chorus is spot on the bass player pack gets a bit of time to shine there's like a breakdown in between the second chorus and the solo where it goes the bass is like and that's pretty cool shows what a great player he is i mean obviously he's in the shadow of a virtuoso stood next to him on stage but he is great um and it's just really anthemic stuff i love it it's just it hits hard it's a crunchy old riff as well it's it's everything I want from this band in one song here. It's perfect for me. It's just, it is a great economical as well. It's not overly long, great rock song, great way to sort of get you going and get you moving. Fantastic. But moving on from that, we go to the title track of the album, Pornography to Itself, which 
I've got some very mixed opinions of, um, but we'll get to mine. Dave, what do you think of pornography to the song? See, I, th- I think this is pretty good as well. It starts off with just, uh, you know, a classic guitar riff. Um, but I think, again, the, you know, the guitar work is, is very interesting. But I think the melody is pretty good as well. You know, and uh, for me, it's not quite, it's not It's a Monster. I agree with you. If, if it wasn't Forget the Funk Out and More Than Words, th- this is probably, or possibly my third favourite. Definitely one of my favourites, It's a Monster, to, to rock out to. And that's, I, I should have mentioned before, but that's the one they opened with when I went to see them. So again, it has a special place in my heart for that. But yeah, I, I think the, what stands out on this one, pornography for me, is the, um, it's that shouty, Oh, no, no, it's not shouty, but it is, it is the three-part harmonies. But it's when they're all singing together. And uh, what is it? Overseas pornography, all the best pornography. <laughs> you know, again, it's just, it just gets in your ears. It's a proper earworm. And, and you're like, yeah, this is pretty good. So, again, if I think of this album, despite the fact it's the title track, it, it's not one of the first songs that I think of. But I do think it's it's better than filler. I, I think it's it's in keeping with the the songs earlier in the album. But I think the harmonies just pull it up a little bit more. And like I say, that you get some interesting guitar work. So most of the things we've heard, apart from more than words, most of the things we've heard are uh, you know that distorted guitar and all the riff driven stuff and solos, and then. Nuno breaks into this kind of funky and you know again it's just it's showing off you you said about it's self-indulgence I mean it is it's just like look I can do this this style as well you know so no I I, I like this one Tony do you I I do I again I'm just sorry everybody I love this musically I wish it was an instrumental. I really can't stand these words. <laughs> it's so stupid. Um, it's just stupid. And I can't get past it. This is, again, I think, normally I'm always like digging for the thing. My problem with it is, is, is I don't think Gary's clever enough. I mean, I'm sorry, Gary. You may be the most clever guy. I may owe you a big apology. I just, <laughs> I, 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 and it could be, and again, after a month with it, I felt worn down, felt worn down with this song, with a lot of these songs. Like, is Little Jack Horny a joke? Is it satire? If I re-watch this album or re-listen to this album through the satirical t- lens, it might be brilliant. But I'm like, man, I, I've, this needed to be that two-minute intro. Like, just shut up. Let Nuno do what he's doing. Let's move along. I didn't, don't love it at all. Um, I agree. The, the, it's weird because they do harmonies and then this they're all singing samey it's same singing mm. it's not we're not harmonizing we're singing together and this is this mm. the only album where that happens and it just doesn't it's jarring we know you can do something better i don't know i just don't like it at all i don't hate it um it's not filler would you say dave it's better than filler it's definitely yeah. not filler i get what they're doing i just don't care for it yeah, I, I can take it or leave it. I think for the for the title track, it needs to be stronger. Your title song for your album should be a statement of what the album is about and what you're about as a band. And I just think it it, 
it's a very crowded song. There's so there's a lot going on in it. There's not much space. Um, it's quite repetitive with that pornography refrain that Dave was uh, talking about. It, the solo's big, of course. Again, I sound like a broken record or another great Nuno solo, but it is what it is. It's a fact. There's this kind of weird breakdown towards the end as well, where it kind of goes into this like funky riff as well, which is quite interesting. That bit, I like that bit. But then the song goes back to type and goes back to what it was before. And I would have preferred them to carry on with that funky refrain for the rest of the song. Um, so it's not, I, I don't particularly care for this song at all. Again, it's one of those that if it was taken on off the album, I wouldn't miss it. I don't hate it. Um, the next song I hate, but not this one. Um, so, <laughs> if I could just say as well, so just with some of the conversations I've had with Chris on the VHS Strikes Back recently, and especially we watched a, a recent one called Hard Ticket to Hawaii, and the conversations go to, you know, previously <laughs> the snake, previously, uh, you know, what we were up to in our mid teens and what have you. And just some of the lyrics. Tony, you're absolutely right. There is no cleverness to the, these lyrics whatsoever. This is text. This is just pl playing around, putting some words in uh, to tell a story about, you know, and, and make sure the words rhyme. That That is it. But, you know, I'm just looking at it. So sex on TV, rotation heavy. You and I are all are what we eat. Sex when I'm all alone. It calls me on the phone. It's just like, this should be on the VHS strikes back. <laughs> <laughs> this so, could just yeah. be like words, words, and here's some words. Here's yeah. words. I'm singing words, 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 and here's some words, words, and words. Pornography. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the well had run dry. I think one hundred time they got to this song. Max, yeah. you said it. The title track should have been "Get the Funk Out." That's what the album should have been. Yeah. That's what the album is. Because mm -hmm. the funky part of the song is what you like. I agree with everything you said. So it's like it would be a fun instrumental to watch them play around with stuff. And then yeah. I don't know. Gary could have just gone off and done some blow or something while they were not while he was <laughs> not there. Ugh. <laughs> okay, well, moving on, I think he was on blow when they did this next song, um, which is not to my taste, but maybe it's to your guys. It's track number nine, and it's the charming sort of Rat Pack piano number, When I First Kissed You. So, Tony, does When I First Kissed You do it for you or not? I don't hate it like you hate it, so I am going to defer to... I was waiting for you to just wind up and go. You've been saying how much you hate it. So I'm going to stand down and say, I think this is ballsy. This is the punk, punk rockiest thing they could have done even more than More Than Words because More Than Words is something a little bit different. Um, this to me is just balls. They're like, I can't, I would love to have heard the conversation they had with Mike about putting this on the album. Um, so to me, the story of the song is probably more interesting than the song. So I want to defer to Max on this. Okay, to me, it's like a fucking pound shop, rat, Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr. rat pack. You can just see some awful sort of cabaret singer with the tuxedo and, and the bow tie open, the open bow tie and the open collar with a fag on the go. I'm on the piano singing this song. I, fuck, I just hate everything about it. It just, it drips with insincerity, if that makes sense. It, it just, it feels so, I mean, one th good thing I will say about it, it's an interesting diversion because so much of the album, More Than Words Apart, has been 
sort of musical overkill because there's so much playing going on and so much musical virtuosity on the guitar front. So I guess from that point of view, something good I can say about it is, is it's an interesting diversion and it's it's almost like a come down from where we've been before and just allows you to sort of recalibrate yourself, reset yourself before you get into the last four songs here. But it's, I just can't get into it at all. It, it just seems so fake and so cabaret and so cheap and nasty. It just does not do it for me in any way, shape or form. Dave, what do you say? I fucking love this song. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> right, when I was younger, when, when, you know, when I was properly into him and that, mm. used to hate it. And I don't remember, I don't think they played this live probably for good reason. Shocker. Um, but yeah. <laughs> they would have so been, but this would have been the blues, blues Brothers band throwing shit. I would Just have needed at, it. Yeah. At Donington. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, but I used to hate it. It's like, what the fuck is this? Just get it off. And then I don't quite know when it happened. Certainly in my uh, more vintage years. So maybe last 10 years, you know, when I, I'm kind of going back and, and listening to the to the album and what have you. And I, at some point, it just struck me. And what you said, Tony, I'd never thought of it as being the most punk thing, but just purely as a song, it just grabbed me. And I just thought, actually, you know what? Forget the fact that I'm expecting blazing guitars and all right, modern words, we can put that to the side. We know that's the commercial track. But most of this album, it's though that heavily distorted guitar, you know, driving bass and, and solid drums. But this is just a complete oddity and it's out there. But it is so damn catchy. I, I think it's fantastic. And I'm just thinking, you know, it's proper rom-com stuff, isn't it? You're just expecting this in the middle of a Tom Hanks movie or something, you know, with Meg Ryan, maybe. And the only criticism I've got of it is they've got this, like, Casio keyboard sort of thing playing. <laughs> it just sounds really cheap. And you're like, get a pr proper fucking piano on it. And I don't know if it's... You know, they spent a lot of money on production, clearly, with the horns and, uh, you know, on some of the other songs, like Get the Funk Out, which I, I don't necessarily think it needed. But here, just give us that, that analog, organic piano sound. And I think this does sound, you know, Sinatra, Rat Pack kind of thing. I, I, think, it's, I think it's a brilliant song. And I think, Jesus Christ, the amount of convincing they must have done to try and get that on the album... It is just, yeah, it's fantastic for me. Yeah, so, so yeah. it took a lot of balls. I'm so happy. Yeah. I, I really don't hate it. I don't, I I think, I agree with you. I wish, because there's they play piano at the beginning of the album, so play a piano. Yeah. But And the bass, this is Pat's song. I mean, I know he didn't write it, but they were like, hey, man, go, go for it. And he's, you know, playing an old Stray Cats bass. I, yeah, yeah, I mean, that was beautiful. Thank you for that. I'm just thrilled. I, that's why I wanted you to go first, Max, because I had a feeling Dave didn't hate it. And I knew I did hate, hate it like you did. So it was it was. Thank you, Max. I, I absolutely used to hate it. And and then at, at some point, like I say, it just it just grabbed me. And and actually, you know, the friend I said who, who years later, I discovered, you know, he was at the same gig. I I'd had the conversation with him and he was like, yes, it's actually really good, isn't it? So. I don't know. Maybe it happens to men of a certain age. 
<laughs> yeah, we're older than well, you, Max. It'll you come. are considerably older it than Max. That's right. Yeah, so. yeah, it will happen, Max. Yeah. You know, we'll, just we wait. Shall, uh, yeah, we, we shall see. You know, maybe when I've completely bottomed out, then um, I'll, oh! I'll, I'll, I'll jump on it. When song. life can't get any worse, that's where oh, it's like, that's you know what? This, first... this song isn't that bad. Yeah. Uh, well, all right. It's, it's, it's all each their own. I just, I don't know. It's just working men's club, Poundland Sinatra for me. But. It is what it is. Okay, moving on then very quickly then. Four songs left. Next one is Susie Wants Her All Day What? What is it Susie Wants? Tony, what Susie do you think? Susie can fuck off. I hate this song. <laughs> God damn this song. Then they have the whole sing-along, sing-along. And then they have the little kid, fuck you song. I think that was Dweezil Zappa who does the voice. Is that right? I don't know. Fuck I think that so. song. Yeah, yeah. Fuck the song. It's so stupid. This is the one. I mean, all the other ones that I've disliked here and there, if they just wanted to cut this one. And again, because Nuno is great. I'm not taking anything away from him. I don't even want to talk about that. This song is just, I, I would rather listen to Porno Graffiti 10 times. Again, just that song than to listen to this one more time ever. Listening to it, I would get, I could feel myself coming. You know how like you're getting in your brain, you know what the next song is going to be. And I could feel myself tensing up. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, all right, I'm done. Uh, I agree. It's just, it's, it's more funk rock with horns. It's the shortest song on the album. And in my mind, the th- only thing I wrote down when I was listening to it was it's an inferior version of other songs on the album. It's just, it's there for its sake. I think I, I really don't like this song. Dave, do you like it? I'm not going to do my face and, and say, I love this one, but I don't, I don't hate it. What what I will say though, on, on, I'll keep on that theme for a second. One of the things that has that irritated me from the first time of listening to now, so all the times in between, is when Gary says, "Try this tongue twister on for size," <laughs> and then he just and then he utters like this thing that is totally not a tongue twister. It's like what you know. You can almost imagine him in a stadium, you know, try this tongue twister on for size, and then. <laughs> Everyone's waiting for a tongue twister, uh, uh, and then he uh, just utters that shit. So no, I, again, I, I probably don't hate it as much as you guys, but it's just not. This is filler. Um, again, I think some of the it, it gets quite interesting in the middle. Again, it, the song kind of comes down, and it's doing this interesting, you know, some may say guitar wanky stuff, you know, in the middle. Again, it's the guitar that at least elevates it above sea level. <laughs> and I think the harmonies as well, the three-part harmonies just still sound great. But overall, this, yeah, this is definitely one of the weaker songs on the album. Yeah, I agree. Very, very forgettable. But what isn't forgettable is the next one, which in effect is sort of two for the price of one. It, technically speaking, this is just billed as one song, He-Man, Woman, and Hater. But it's got its own introduction, which has its own title, which is Flight of the Wounded Bumblebee. So we get this Flight of the Wounded Bumblebee intro, which is probably a minute and a half, two minutes, maybe something like that. Instrumental um, guitar, you know, jazzercise, wonderful piece of uh, guitar uh, fretwork. And then we go into He-Man, Woman, Hater. Tony, what's your opinion? I want it to be two songs because the, because obviously Flight of the Bumblebee is a real thing, right? And so mm. it's a real piece of classical music. And so Nuno's version is amazing. It's his eruption. This is their love letter to Van Halen, right? That's what this is. I mean, 
first thing we ever hear from any Van Halen on Van Halen 1 is Eruption. This is not the first thing we've ever heard from. This is their second album. But I wouldn't be surprised if they ever started a show with this. Just Nuno walking out on stage or like an encore. That would be the way to start an encore. Just Nuno walks out and fucking blasts Flight of the Wounded Bumblebee. I that- think it might have been the encore. That's what you do. Um, yeah. It's perfect. And then He-Man Woman Haters comes in and that song's off. So it's frustrating <laughs> to me because you've got this great thing. And again, I can't, as the album goes on and wholehearted notwithstanding, and we'll get there, but the lyrics just like get weaker. And again, I feel worn out. And I think Gary wears on me and wears on me and wears on me. And I think when he goes to Van Halen, He's got Ed and Alex and Michael saying, nope, nope. Like, I know, you know, we're not pulling that. Nope, this is bullshit. Like, the songs in Van Halen 3 are better. And I know you said the song on the third Extreme albums are probably better, and maybe he's grown as a songwriter. But so for me, it's a tale of two songs. I wish it was two songs because I love Flight of the Wounded Bumblebee. I just think it's a beautiful piece of music. And then I really dislike the rest of the song. Yeah. What do you reckon, Dave? I think to dissect it, yeah, we, we need to treat it as two parts. I, I remember I, I had some guitar lessons when I was about 17 and I, I was trying to uh, learn a bit of lead guitar. Never really mastered that, to be honest. Um, but I, I and the guitar guy who, who was teaching me, who was brilliant. And I was saying, have a listen to this. How is he doing this? You know, YouTube wasn't a thing then. You couldn't you know, just go and see like a video of how is he playing it or whatever. And I hadn't seen him, uh, uh, you know, over and over. I'd seen him live, but you're not really sure what's going on. And I was just trying to, and he was saying, oh, maybe he's got some delay or something. But I think what it was is the tapping wasn't that well-known a technique then. And that's how he's he's doubling up on those notes. But it just it sounds like it's got this mad delay on uh, Flight of the Wounded Bumblebee. I do wonder. I mean, you've got that drum machine that like it doesn't add to me that it's just like get rid of that. Just let us hear the guitar. We just want to hear the guitar. Um, so I wish they'd have kind of taken that bit away. For He-Man Woman Hater, though, I can see why. I mean, it, it's a dumb, dumb song, right? And, and the, the lyrics are stupid. But I think as a song, detaching myself from the lyrics, I, I really like this one. I think it's, it, it's very much in that um, middle ground of how this album sounds. You know, so it's not When I First Kiss You, it's not More Than Words or anything like that. It's, it's in this kind of uh, middle part of the dartboard kind of thing but i think again the the harmonies in this i think are on point you know so when they're even though they're dumb and they're singing those dumb lyrics it sounds great <laughs> you know and you've got this kind of who and I think Gary Sharon's lyrics do show themselves off a bit here. So he's really hitting those notes. And um, yeah, I just think for me, this is another, it's not quite, it's a monster. I think that is, that is a better song of this ilk, but I do think this one is, um, this one's up there as well. I just wish they'd, they'd wrote some different lyrics for it. <laughs> yeah. I, Talking about the flight of the Wounded Bumblebee first, I think that's just an amazing piece of guitar gymnastics. 
I think it's superb and it does sound like a like a flight of the wounded bumblebee. It's chaotic, it's frenetic, it's just great in your face, you know, guitar virtuosity, which I absolutely love to listen to. But it's it's a really odd pairing to put these two songs together. I don't know what the thought process was in that. I've been intrigued to know why they thought it should go with this particular song under the same banner. It's just, it's a really strange decision to me. I don't and, understand why. And when I saw them live, I am pretty sure Flight of the Wounded Bumblebee did not go into this song. No. I can't remember I what it went into. Yeah, I can't remember what it went into, but it because it was a surprise. And I had a false memory when we were discussing on WhatsApp. I thought on the album it was listed separately, but when I thought harder about it, it was like, no, I, I think I've heard that after, you know. So at, at the time, I did think that was just a, a long intro for He Man Woman Hater. Um, but yeah, I, oh, I wish I could remember. But you're right. I, I think the two things are definitely different. I agree. Yeah, they don't they don't dovetail at all. I mean, he man, woman, hater. They, you know, fuck the lyrics. They're pretty damning, but they 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 don't work great. There's a really cool time change in there in the middle that leads into the guitar solo, which is quite nice. And and you know, as a sort of something of note, the guitar solo on the intro and the guitar solo on the outro are played by Dweezil Zapper on this song. So that's quite interesting to have an act, you know, you've got this guitar virtuoso in your band, but you still bring in outside talent to come and do a little guest spot, you know, obviously, you know, another hugely renowned guitar player. So it's quite interesting that they actually put him down on this song. But as a as a song, He Man Woman Hater, so forgettable. It, it just does nothing for me. Uh, the next song does something for me, but not necessarily in a good way, but it, nevertheless, it's there. And that is the penultimate song on the album, Song for Love. Uh, Tony, is it, do you love Song for Love or do you fucking hate it? I think Song for Love is like the um, the like cousin you left at the rest stop of um, <laughs> uh, More Than Words. It's like, hey, remember how we wrote More Than Words? And like, let's write this other one that's not good. This is the song that they should be embarrassed of. It's a bad ballad. It's bad. I like a good rock ballad. I actually, when we get to Wholehearted, I like Wholehearted. I like, uh, this is bad. I don't get it. Again, it's this is a 62-minute album that has, like I said, 45. Now that we're talking mm. about it, it's like 38 great minutes on it. These are five minutes I want back. Don't love it. <laughs> I think that says it all. Dave, do you share Tony's opinion of Song for Love? No, I'm I'm not going to be quite as damning, although I can't really disagree too hard that it's the uh, ginger stepchild of... Um, more than words. <laughs> more than words. <laughs> so I think it's... I, I, was, I was actually listening before and I was trying to think, who is this like? And I, I want to say Queen... You know, I could maybe imagine Freddie, but that that didn't really fit. And I couldn't really pigeonhole it. But it is, of all of the songs, cheesy as fuck. I mean, More Than Words is a beautiful song. And and sometimes it is a, a fine line between being, you know, really beautiful and cheesy. <laughs> and, and the song for love. I... It's funny, I'm sure you said, Max, um, that at Donington they followed Sepultura and Pantera or something, and so it yeah. didn't obviously <laughs> go down very well. I can't imagine if they played this one. Uh, that would go down well at all. 
<laughs> no, I I like it. I, I think it's still an earworm. Um, but I, I just can't place it. It's not like when I first kissed you, where I absolutely hated it, and then I thought after, yeah, yeah, I quite like this. This is just, this is middling for me. Um, but I appreciate, again, that they, they do something different. And, um, yeah, it's not really in keeping with the metal philosophy, is it? You know, a song for love. But, um, no, don't don't hate it for me. Yeah. I think it's the cheese it's cheesy as hell uh, it does actually to me it does sound a bit like a like an 80s queen ballad it sounds like friends will be friends or something like that by queen you know this really che- you know it's one of those lighters in the air wait wave your arms like this to the chorus kind of song and the sentiment friends will be the, friends you've nailed it that is why yeah. i was thinking queen you're yeah, right it does have a, a similar vibe to friends will be friends by queen but Friends Will Be Friends by Queen is a better song than this. There's no two ways. The sentiment of this song is nice because it's a song about positivity yeah. and, sp- and spreading love. So the, the sentiment is is lovely. It really is. But it's just delivered in such a ham-fisted way. Um, yeah. You know, they're trying to be sort of earnest and, and sincere with this song, but it just... It, but you can't have it on the same album as Little Jack Horney, can you? <laughs> no, no. That's that's just it. It's just... it's it's It's... It's proverbial chalk and cheese, isn't it? It's, I don't know, it, it sounds also like it could be in a really shitty West End slash Broadway musical or something like that. It, it's it's not, I mean, like I say, like you guys say, I don't I don't hate it, but it's not one I can listen to. When I, when I was been playing this album back at home and I listened to it and obviously Sarah, my partner's been listening along as much as she can bear. And when this song has been on, she's been like, fuck, mate, this song is fucking (laughs) diabolical. And I'm sat there, you know, I will die on any musical hill I choose to when it comes to Sarah and I, because I love to sort of stir the pot with her, but I literally had nothing. (laughs) I was like, you're right, honey. Yeah. I was like, yeah, "Yeah, you're you're right, my darling. So, (laughs) So, you know, one of the bands I was in, right, we, we talked about, you know, why do bands split up so frequently? And, and it's only in recent years they all get back together because you need to tour to make the money. You can't just live off the royalties. But this song, Song for Love, reminds me of an indie band. And one of the guys was more into, like, the American, you know, things like the calling. Remember the calling? Yeah, just yeah. really cheesy college rock. And he kind of brought this thing and we, you know, we did play it at quite a few gigs. It was called nothing. And it was so out of step with everything else. Everything else was quite Manchester indie. And, you know, then we play this and it feels like nothing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and like, you know, privately we'd be like, this is fucking shit. This isn't it. But you wouldn't bring it up because you're like, well, I don't want to, tackle the the situation that you know we don't want to tell him it's it's ridiculously out of keeping and so it's just one of those stupid things that you know because it it is the old cliche you know about musical differences but it's those tiny musical differences that we all bring together remember like um uh, in the last episode we were talking about in the light i've listened to that song so many times since we last spoke so i i love it and max you you hate it um so (laughs) it's a good job we're not putting a band together um but it's those little things and if you don't tackle them and agree actually you know 
yeah, we, we like that as well, or we don't like that, but this is what we're trying to be. So we need to kind of, you know, go towards that, that point on the horizon. It, it's so clear to me why so many bands split up and it, it just, this song for love was absolutely our nothing. And actually I'm going to try and, uh, I, I'm going to email my mates if we've got an old copy of it and you'll see what I mean. It's cheesy as fuck. <laughs> and it, and, my buttocks are clenched just thinking about playing it in Manchester right now. Um, just <laughs> it was so cringeworthy. <laughs> well, we have to see it, we have to see and hear it. So, yeah. um, yeah, you, you'll have to furnish us with that piece of musical genius, which I'm oh sure my it is. God. <laughs> well, we've made it to the last track, gentlemen. This is the last song on the album, track 13, one of the biggest songs on the album, without question, another hit single. Uh, second only to more than words in terms of its sort of fame and success level, and that's wholehearted. So, uh, Dave, we'll start with you. Wholehearted, where does it sit with you? I think this is, you know, when we so Jack uh, graciously listened to this this album, didn't they, before yeah. we recorded to uh, you know have an opinion on it, and I appreciate he took the time out to do that. And he said the album's quite samey, and I think. There is definitely a dartboard, isn't there? So a lot of the the tracks fit within a certain uh, point on that dartboard. But this one is just something completely different. And again, whereas I said Song for Love, it's like, uh, it's all the cheeses, like mixed in with that. And it, it, it's, it's not great. Whereas this one, again, is just an upbeat pop song. And I think I, I used to like this one because, again, when, you, when you're playing about learning guitar, you, you kind of like things that are easy. And this is, the opening is just a D shape, you know, dun, dun, and then you move up two frets. Dun, dun, dun. And so it's like, ah, oh, and it sounds like the record. So you just play that over and over. Meanwhile, your parents downstairs probably pulling their hair out, like just fucking learn something else or learn the whole song even, you know, not just the opening. So um, no, it, it makes me smile just thinking about that and thinking about how I made my parents and neighbours suffer with that. So, yeah, I, I just think this is really good, upbeat, feel-good song. I think the, the video springs to mind as well. It's just everyone out in the open, just dancing, having a good time. I think, I, I'm not sure, is it a good album finisher? I'm not sure, but it it almost feels too happy-go-lucky to finish on it, you know? It's a metal album. Finish on a bit of doom and gloom, for God's sake. So, but, you know, <laughs> we talked about all the cheese that this has got, so maybe maybe it is right, but no, I, I really like this one. Yeah, yeah. I, I echo for me. It's um, it, the this is extremes. Is there something I should know? I almost feel like that was supposed to be on Rio, but it came out as a single and they were like, oh, shit, that let's put it back on the other album. Like, let's tack it on to the original Duran Duran and re-release it and we'll drop to the shore and we'll just stick that on there. And that is what I feel like this song is. It's like it was something else. It was it almost feels tacked on as you said dave but i think it's a good tack on i think they're like hey let's get one more single on here this is nothing like the rest of the album it's just a random song we have that is fun i know max you said you hate uh, uh mumford but this is very mumford-esque um with with just lots of guitar and stomping and i don't hate mumford like you do but i so i like it a lot i think it's fun it, you wouldn't if you didn't know it was extreme you wouldn't know it was, it was extreme 
that's how I feel. No, fair enough. I, I love this song. I'll, I'll admit, I absolutely love the song. I just think it's a brilliant, upbeat, sing-along, great bit of acoustic playing on it, which is, you know, we've had an album, more than words apart, we've had an album full of electrical guitar wizardry, but here it's all acoustic-based and it just it kicks along. Just that kick drum that goes throughout the entire song, it doesn't alter it. It's that one beat all the way through. But you can't listen to it without going like this, nodding your head, stomping your feet. I defy okay. any, anyone with any sort of blood in their body not to want to just kind of go like this through it. I think it's great. It pushes it along nicely. The vocals are good. Uh, Lenuno actually sings some lead on this as well. There's some interplay between the two. And then when they all kick in for the three-part harmony, it sounds enormous. The production on the on the, the harmony vocals on this is superb. And it just, it, it soars, you know? It's one of those songs that it just... Whenever I hear it, it puts me in a, it, it uplifts my mood when I hear this song. 100%. I can't, I can't help it. It's, again, it's, yes, it's cheesy. It's a lot of this album's cheesy, but you can't help but really enjoy it. I think if anyone listens to this song and go, oh, I fucking hate this song, and then I think, I think you've got to. <laughs> they are of, dead inside. They are. Dave. <laughs> I, agree, I agree. I agree. They're dead inside and probably on the outside as well, because it's just one of those songs that you have to enjoy and just, just makes you feel good. It's, it's, it's a great song. And like you said, it's an unusual song to finish an album with a heavy rock album with a, a sort of acoustic sing-along ballad, but it is what it is. The album's so diverse. It was always going to be a, 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 something you've got to pick the album uh, to, to close the album with. So on the whole, I think it's uh, it's a great choice. Oh, nice pun so, on the whole. Unintentional, but I'll take it. Um <laughs> So, yeah, we've reached the end. That's the last tr- uh, track on the album, so it's time to score it. Uh, we have a five-tier scoring system. And just for those at home who don't remember the, the tier, I'll just briefly recap it. So we go from sort of one through to five. So the best you can give it is Paradise City, which means it's the best of the best. It's, you know, it's a nigh-on perfect album. After that, it's Dr. Feel Good, which means it's a really, really good album. Not perfect, but really good. Crossroads, which is the middle of the road, good, but not great. Uh, after that, it's Skid Row, which means it's, you know, nothing particularly memorable, but there's maybe one or two good songs on it. And then the last one is Hotel California, which is the worst, the worst. Not that Hotel California is the worst, the worst. That is a masterful album, I'll say. But it just, it's the, the line about you can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. So it's, you know, it means it's a shitty album. So I'll let you guys give your scores first. So we will start with you, Dave. Now, I think I'm going to cheat a little bit because this album just means so much to me. Uh, Again, it's just, it's my coming of age album. I I talked about Skid Row, actually, the the title album. You know, that, that was my gateway drug into metal. But this was a band that I discovered, not... You know, obviously, I wasn't out cruising the the uh, underground scene, but you know, discovered on MTV, and no one gave me an opinion that I should like this band. You know, because it, there have been a lot of bands where, that you know people say, "Oh, you should listen to this band or this band." This was a band that I just stumbled across on MTV. You know, in those early days of MTV, when MTV was proper music channels, you know, <laughs> old man radio. Um, and I just, you know, having that experience of going to watch them as well, being that first concert, you know, feeling like an adult, even though you're only 15. 
Um, I must admit, I went for years and years, probably best part of 20 years, where I was like, you know what? I had the choice to watch Extreme or Nirvana. And like a fucking idiot, I went to see Extreme and feeling like cheated or, or feeling like a dummy that I'd made the wrong choice. And yeah, all right. Extreme or I could have done in years gone by can't do with nirvana so I, th- I think given the choice i probably would have gone and seen nirvana you know if i'd have known them a bit longer but i'm still really glad that i got to go and see that um see that gig because like i say it in my mind it's not 90s it was it was an 80s gig like i say i i think i sent you the there's some footage on youtube of them going out in um i think it's japan and it's the same sort of set that I saw as well, where Gary Sharon comes out in the second half and he's he's sort of doing the Rocky Balboa boxing. And you're like, this is nuts. And he, he gives such an athletic performance. He mm. must have been so fit because, mm. you know, the vocals never suffered. And yet he's running from, you know, here, there and everywhere. He, he does this weird thing where he's singing and then he almost like bends down. You know, and he's he's got his head between his knees, kind of thing, and he's singing down there. It's very weird, um, but yeah, I I just love this album. Again, it's on regular rotation for me. A year never goes by when I I don't listen to this. I can't say it's the perfect album though. As I've discussed, there there is a bit of filler in here. There's things that I don't like. I think every single song though, there is something that I like about it. So there, there is not a midnight tornado on here where I just think, <laughs> why are you on there? I don't, I don't get it. Every single song, there is something I like about it. So I'm going to have this with half a foot in Dr. Feelgood and half a foot in Paradise City. It's not quite a full Paradise City, but I think it's more, you know, the, uh, it's higher for me than Skid Row's title album. So that's why I'm going to cheat a little bit. Excellent. Tony, over to you, sir. Well, for me, it is not that. It is not as good as Skid Row's album. So it's clear. So that was a strong Dr. Feelgood for me. So for me, I was worn down by this album. I was worn down by Gary. Your voice is amazing, sir. Your lyrics drove me crazy by the end of the month. Um, So unlike with physical graffiti, where I felt I had Stockholm syndrome by the end of the month, I was glad to take a break from this. So I'm like Sarah, I think like, fuck this. What is this? Um, So I'm going to put it at crossroads because I think it's a it is a five. It is a Paradise City Nuno and it is a near Hotel California with Gary's lyrics. So for me, that puts it in the crossroads <laughs> whole hard. I mean, there's the bangers of the bangers for a reason. And I do like some of the deeper cuts and musically Nuno saves every song, but it's just not enough to overcome the lap wrench at the end of He-Man Women Haters fuck off song. So that's why I'm going to put it right in crossroads. I will definitely take a break from it after I'm done editing this and putting the songs in and maybe in about a year, I'll revisit it. Dave, at the, and the year comes up, send me a message to be like, I'm listening to pornography now. I'll put it on. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, personally speaking, I'm so torn between whether to go for Dr. Feelgood or Crossroads on this. I think it, it's certainly not a, a top paradise city. There's no question. There's nowhere near that. But I don't know which one to put it in. I mean, the, the highs on this album, I think, are as good as you can get in some respects. I think the highs are really high. But then it has some lows that really fucking suck. Um 
so it's it's really difficult as to know which one to give but I think I'll be generous and give it Dr. Feelgood. I th- I'm in a, I'm in a giving mood, so I'm going to give it Dr. <laughs> Feelgood. I think it's, I think it's dragged down in certain parts and certain parts of it are borderline unlistenable, but when it's really gets it, when it really knocks it out of the park, it knocks it full force. I think the great stuff is great. The, the, the guitar playing is we've sort of, spent the last two hours just going nuts about the guitar playing, but you can't say enough about him as a player. He is mind-blowingly good. The singing's great, but the lyrics are cringe. I completely agree with you on that, on that, on that Tony. It's not, it's, it dates itself somehow with some of those, but I think as a band and, and as a piece of work, it's, it's got, it's got a lot of appeal to it and a lot of charm to it as well. It just lets itself down on two or three songs. So from that respect, I will give it Dr. Feelgood, but it's a, it's barely Dr. Feelgood. It's, it's, it's like this clinging into it and it could almost slip into crossroads depending on how black my mood is the next day. It could, it could, <laughs> it could slip into that. Well, so we'll, we'll see. I'm glad you chose a score for love, Max. That's you had right. a choice, you know, to go left yeah. or right, and you chose love. Oh, awesome. for love. <laughs> All I right. Did. We need to spin this wheel. I'm we excited. Do. We do. We're ready. Um, as people may know, we've put all a, a, a plethora of albums into a, a melting pot into this sort of roulette wheel and whatever comes up when Dave spins it in it momentarily will be the choice for our next episode. So just to sort of preempt that, if it's an extreme album, a Skidro album or a Led Zeppelin album, we'll spin again because we don't want to cover having used those bands for the first three shows. We don't want to go back to those bands immediately. We will go back to them eventually, but for now we're giving them a wide berth. So if it's, any of those three, then we spin again. But otherwise, we get what we're given here. So let's go. Let's see what we get. Now, before we kicked off, I did do a trial run just to make sure it was still working. And what came up was Rust in Peace by Megadeth. Ooh, so yes. let's spin the wheel. Drum roll, please. Fighters, one by one. One one month's time, everybody, you'll come back and hear us do that. And that'll be exciting. It will indeed. Yeah, that's bringing things a lot more into the present day than our previous selections. That's going to be an interesting one. We'll be viewing it slightly more through a a more grown-up prism (laughs) than remembering what it was like to be young. Jaded eyes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sick sick of the world, unimpressed eyes. But um, we shall see. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one to do next. So you've heard it here first. The Foo Fighters will be the topic of discussion for episode four of this July, yes. It is coming to all good podcasting apps at the start of July. You know, so, in my mind, uh, that is a recent yeah. album, but it's probably like 20 years old now. I think it is. <laughs> that's, re- that's recent for this show. This could be as up to date as it gets yeah. on this show. Let's not forget that. So we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I look forward to it. That's going to be interesting. That's a band that I'm not a mega fan of i'll be honest so i'm quite interested to see how i reappraise that um we shall uh, we shall see how the next month uh, well that brings a curtain down on this episode it's been a blast as always talking to you guys and reliving this uh, musical monument from 1990 uh, so before we say goodbye if you want to let people know where they can find you and find what you're up to social media wise uh tony you go first yeah i'm off the social social the socials but you can just go you i'm obviously on the comics motion podcast doing stuff 
Uh, I have a website, arfarina.com. Please come there, send me a message. I've had some people reach out and give me some free comic books for me to review. So that's exciting, fun stuff. Great. And Dave, where can people hit you up? Awesome. So also on the Comics in Motion Network, Comics in Motion family, a bit more infrequently these days, but uh, we're trying to get there for the the big movies. Uh, Also, you can get us on the VHS Strikes Back and um, Chris and Dave's reality cast, but we don't like to talk about that one. So, (laughs) (laughs) But on social media, you can get me at Seattle Dojos or all of those podcasts as well. But Tony, I am considering your uh, line of thinking that Twitter is just an absolute cesspool and best (laughs) avoided. So I am considering whether I actually want to be on there because you're you're like two steps away from absolute scumbags. So, yeah, it's a horrible place. Can't that disagree the with that. In the work in the world, isn't it? So yeah, <laughs> can't disagree. Uh, nevertheless, you can find me on Twitter uh, <laughs> at Maxi Burn, which is spelled M A X Y B Y R N E. You can go there. There's links to the various websites I write <laughs> articles and reviews for. Uh, you can circumnavigate my Twitter page and just go straight to the websites. And if that's right. If we're giving Twitter a wide berth these days. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, do drop by there and uh, see what's going on. Um, and uh, by all means, uh, if you've not already subscribed to the show, hit the subscribe button on the Comics in Motion uh, podcast network. You'll get it on all major podcast catching apps. And there's a variety of shows on there for everyone to enjoy uh, by all different people, a wide variety of shows, a wide variety of genres. So check it out. You'll be glad you did leave a review, but be, please be kind. And um, we will see you again in a month's time where we review some Foo Fighters. So bye for now. Bye.